Our scripture passage is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, read from the King James Version. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were all gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, in the West, we have the famous song that has shaped much of the way we think of Christmas over the past 50 years, which has the famous line in it, he's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Much of Christmas in the West has been pushed away from the true gospel story that it began with, and has been built around the whole story of that gift-giving elf known as Santa or Father Christmas, depending upon where you live. But a couple centuries ago, there were some dark sides of the Father Christmas Santa story. In Germany in the 1800s, the folk legend of Krampus became a little more famous. Krampus was a German folktale about a goat man who came to scare and punish naughty children. And the sounds that he would bring besides something like a goat man was the chains that he brought to take kids away. And so, for a couple centuries, in some German villages and cities, men in early December, who happened to maybe not be completely sober, decided to dress up as goat men, carrying chains and yelling and screaming, causing kids to be scared to death. The French had their own version of that called Pierre, Pierre Foutard. Now, 
Père Futard means Father Whipper. He was a 16th century French character who brought lumps of coal to naughty children and spanked others. Merry Christmas. <laughs> you don't want to be on the naughty list, right? In the movie Elf, played uh, the, the main character, Buddy the Elf, played by Will Ferrell, thinks he's an elf, but he's really a human. He's six feet tall, and eventually he learns that he's an elf. And so he's going to go find his true father, his real father, in New York City. Before he heads out, Santa tells him, look, buddy, there's something you need to know. And Santa's not really sure how to say it, because he knows Buddy's going to be really upset. He says, you know, buddy, your father... He's on the naughty list. Will Ferrell's eyes get gigantic, and he screams, No! There's nothing worse than being on the naughty list. And you know this because uh, actual kids get really upset if they're told they're on the naughty list. There was a viral YouTube uh, video of a young man, a little boy, school-age boy named Jackson, um, two years ago. Jackson lived in... Uh, he lived in England, and he was wearing his little schoolboy uniform, and you see uh, him straight on in the camera, the, the phone, but the father's behind the camera. And the father says, he's in an argument with the son about how his son is misbehaving, and he says, you're on the naughty list, mate. Jackson, at this point, the little boy, is defiant. He's getting angry, stroppy, as the British say. He's starting to stomp defiantly, but he's also wiping tears because he's a little nervous that maybe he is on the naughty list. And he replies back, no, I'm on the good list, actually. His dad presses a little more. Father Christmas rung me last night and said, you better, be, you better tell Jackson to start being a good boy or he's going to stay on the naughty list and won't get no presents for Christmas. Jackson replies back defiantly, then I'll do an uppercut him. <laughs> and punch his beard off. Jackson does not want to be on the naughty list. And he defiantly says, no, this isn't true. The problem with this whole naughty and nice list, of course, is that it has shaped our view of God in the modern world. In fact, many people in religious circles, the way they think about God is in the same way that a little kid who buys into the folk stories would buy into the naughty and nice list of Santa. It's that we think that our goodness gets us in. Our badness might keep us out. But most of us live with some sense of I'm okay because I can't be as bad as other people. And yet I've also found that even as Christians, we buy into the Santa view of God at times. We do this when we measure our spiritual life on the basis of our religious or emotional fervor for God. Like, I used to be more into God than I am right now. I used to be more excited. I'd tear up more. I'd get more excited. You know, our religious activity, how often you're going to church, reading the Bible, or your avoidance of doing bad things. We even measure our own spiritual life on the basis of a naughty and nice list. But the gospel, the gospel of Christmas, which is what Christmas is, it's good news, which is what gospel means. The good news of Christmas is that it's not about a naughty or nice list. The gifts are not dependent upon what you do. The gift has already come. And that's what we're celebrating tonight. The gift of God in human flesh. 
good news of Christmas tells us who God is, tells us what actually matters, and tells us how to receive the ultimate gift. First, the good news of Christmas tells us who God is. So we know who God is. If you've, if you've been in churches or around people who have read the Bible, you, you could actually start from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And the beginning of the Bible in Genesis tells you about God Almighty. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the whole rest of Genesis unfolds as God, the immovable mover, the glorious creator, the almighty one. In the story of Exodus that follows, we find the people of Israel enslaved. Moses is called to be the deliverer, and he meets God. But God is so holy, Moses has to bow down and take off his shoes. And then God is seen as powerful, the one bringing plagues of judgment on the people of Egypt. And then Israel spends the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness, but in fear of the God of Mount Sinai, the God of the commandments, God Almighty to judge, the powerful Lord of the universe. The Psalms, even those prayers and Psalms of David, declare the glorious majesty of who God is. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All of creation, from the farthest to the smallest creature, declares the glory and majesty of God. And yet at Christmas, we celebrate a God who wore a diaper. Think about the contradiction there, or the way our mind has to get around what God is actually telling us about himself when he becomes a baby. That God became a seven pound, totally dependent, weak and needy infant. The first breaths of a baby are so important. The baby can't keep himself warm, can't feed himself. If there's nobody there to provide for him, within a few minutes or hours, the baby will die. Infants are breakable. I was very aware of this as a young father. I was scared of my kids until they were about six months. Once they're a little robust and they can fight back a little, but in the first months, I was scared to death. I did not want to pick up my daughter in the hospital who was our firstborn because I was sure I was going to break something. They're so fragile, so tiny, and so helpless, and so dependable. Uh, dependent. And when, when God said, I want to show myself to you, that's what he did. In other words, if you want to know about God, you look in that cradle and on the cross. And what we see is the absolute humility and generosity of God. God Almighty, the creator, the judge, gave up his place and his power and his glory for us. He entered frailty and suffering that we all experience. He entered death that we all will experience, and he did so to deal with our sin. Christian author Brendan Manning put it this way when talking about what God chose to do when he chose to reveal himself. God entered into our world not with the crushing impact of unbearable glory, but in the way of weakness, vulnerability, and need. On that first Christmas in Bethlehem, the infant Jesus was a humble, naked, helpless God who allowed us to get close to him. That's who God is. The good news of Christmas tells us who God is, 
And it also tells us what actually matters. You know, we as humans have a set of values, and every culture has values, but if you were to sum up all the values of all humanity throughout every culture, modern, ancient, individuals, groups, there's a couple of things that you would not get rid of. One of the key values of humanity, things that we value, that we treasure, is strength. We look at success and power and influence as very good things. We want to be successful. We want to be influential. We want to have some amount of autonomy and power. That's why you'll find that kids who grew up and they, they don't have a team that their, their family told them to, to cheer for, they will cheer for the team in whatever sport it is, baseball, football, basketball, that is the most successful during their childhood. It's why for years the Patriots became one of the most one of the most uh, popular teams amongst little kids. Because they didn't know who else to cheer for. And you don't want to cheer for a loser. You want to cheer for the team that wins every year. It's much easier. We look for success and power and strength out of our teams. We look for it out of our politicians and political parties. We don't want to be on the losing end. We want politicians and we want power and we want to have protection. We want to get our way in whatever way that we can. I'm not saying that's the only thing that motivates us to cheer for sports or to vote for somebody, but it comes into play. We want strength and we also want control. You know, every one of us wants to be seen as capable and independent. And so we live our lives trying to get a degree and then the right job or the next job that gets us up to the next level. We want to have a family and a marriage that is, is, is a great marriage. We want to have kids that everyone can see and say, oh, look at how great your kids are. And we want to be able to control all of that. We want to make sure that everything like that, we, we control our future. And our biggest fear is losing, being vulnerable, dependent, needy. Even the way we approach finances very often is, is trying to protect ourselves from future loss, from being dependent, from being needy, out of fear. We want to be in control. We want to have strength. But the values of Christmas are completely upending that. They are about humility and generosity. God became man and gave up everything for us. God became man and gave up everything for us, and he calls us to live into that set of values. To live into humility and generosity at every turn, meaning in every time we're interacting with anyone, with everything that we count as ours, to think of humility and generosity. The gospel of Christmas pulls us and calls us into that. To be humble and generous with your spouse, or your parents, or your siblings, or your team at work, or your friends. Constantly humble and generous even to do so with people that we despise. The gospel calls us to give our strengths for others' good, to disadvantage ourselves for the benefit of others, our resources, our influence, the things we think are so important that we have to get to be happy, to let them go and look for the good of others. The gospel of Christmas, the good news of Christmas, tells us what really matters in life. And it's a life of humility and generosity.
reflecting the God of humility and generosity. The good news of Christmas also tells us how to receive the gift that God gave us in his son, Jesus. You want to receive the gift of Christmas to experience the good news of what God actually did for us? Then you need to be weak. You know, the story of Christmas is the story of the gospel. It's the capable and the strong are out. The dependent and the needy are in. It's why Herod is out. King Herod is out. And Mary, the teenage pregnant girl, is in. It's why the Roman elite are out. And it's why the shepherds who are outcasts that nobody wants to see are allowed in. You know what a resume is. A resume is your list of accomplishments in life, right? So everyone has a resume. Even if you're just a kid, you have some version of a resume. Here's the things I've done, my grades, the things I'm good at, my sports accomplishments. As you get older, that resume gets bigger. You change what's on it a little bit. But you're ultimately trying to build a resume that has a list of accomplishments, uh, uh, degrees, things that you've done, your gifts, uh, things people have said about you. The things that you've, the career path that you've been on, the different jobs you've had, that resume helps to secure your future job. Our ego, that internal part of us that determines who I am, our ego is constantly building a resume. It is constantly building a resume based on whatever it is we think really matters. Trying to say, look at everything I've done. Look at who I am. And we're puffing ourselves up to feel good about ourselves. Or we're trying to justify the life we've lived in comparison to others. And ultimately prove to ourselves that we're not on the naughty list. Like grown-up versions of that little British boy Jackson, we defiantly say, no, I'm not on the naughty list. Look at my resume. Look at my life. I measure up. But if Christmas is going to be good news for you and for me, we need to be willing to be weak. Oscar Romero, a Salvadoran archbishop, wrote a poem about who Christmas is for. He says it's for those who are willing to be weak. He wrote this. No one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud, those who have, have no need of God. For them, there will be no Christmas. Only the poor, the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. And that someone is God. Emmanuel, God with us. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God. Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, has the character of Ebenezer Scrooge who learns the lesson on Christmas about being a kinder, more generous person. Modern versions of Santa or Father Christmas say be a kinder, more generous person so you can get gifts. But Christmas is not about the gifts we get or our kinder and gentle, you know, more generous nature. It's about the gift of God who gave himself for us invites us to simply receive the true gift of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, 
God Almighty in human flesh, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray this night. Cast out our sin, our resume-building egos, our need for strength and control and pride, and give us the humility to give up our own standing on the basis of anything but your love for us. Enter in, be born in us again today. Amen.